Hello and good afternoon. We are back for another hopefully great episode of Glory to God on the Go. My name is Scott Bruder. I am here to shed light where light needs to be shed, so to speak. So obviously uh, we're going to talk and continue on with our lesson that we have gone back now. This is the third week and this will be the uh, final week of the armor of God. So uh, the first week uh, we talked about all the pieces of the armor, kind of like a 20,000 foot view. I think I might have said 22,000 foot view of all of the armor. And um, from the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, and of course uh, the gospel of peace. Uh, and and we've gone through all of it. So it's very exciting. So real quick, I'm going to recap what Ephesians 6.10 and what Paul is talking about. Now, Paul was in prison for two years uh, in Rome, and he obviously got to know the, the soldiers and what they wore and their, their, all of their armor that they wore in battle. And so he utilized that, those visions of that, along with some scriptures back from the Old Testament um, that Samuel had written. And so he used that information and used what he saw to kind of bring that into perspective of uh, a spiritual armor that we should put on uh, when we wake up in the morning, get ready for our day to kind of help us defeat the the temptation and defeat, defeat how the devil's going to come at us and how we're going to war and we're going to battle against the sins of this fleshy world that we live in. So today we're going to talk about uh, the final 3.5 pieces of the armor and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the cloak of zeal. Uh, and uh, so we're, just, we're going to jump right into it. So I'm going to read Ephesians 6.10 um, to you just so you can hear it again. And hopefully it'll start getting into your mind, getting into your heart. And that, again, I employ you to, to wake up in the morning, uh, get going with your day. But at some point in the morning, before you really start getting into the activities and the regularness of your day and all the things that work and all this and all that, is put on the armor of God. When, when Paul talks about this, he doesn't talk about, eh, you know, you might want to put it on or um, you should try it. Uh, no, he says it from the words that the Lord is giving to him that he puts on paper. He says, put on the full armor of God. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead and read that right now. And again, I'm a little dramatic when it comes to this. So I'm going to read this to you in my dramatic uh, storytelling voice. Okay. So finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So I imagine that if Paul was reading that to me, that's how Paul would sound. That's just, that's how I do it. And um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's the, that's Ephesians. That's the armor of God. That's what Paul's talking about. He talks about making sure that um, just kind of a real quick uh, recap. Um, he, he talks that you, you, you put on the full armor of God to fight the day of when evil comes and to be able to stand your ground. So he tells you to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Those are the three pieces that we talked about last week. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about the readiness that, um, uh, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so what does all that mean? What, what is the shield of faith? What is the helmet of salvation? What is the, the sword, which is the word of God? We're going to talk about that this week. And we're going to jump right into it. So, the armor of God continued. <laughs> so here we go. The shield of faith. We're going to talk about it right now. The shield of faith. The shields would protect soldiers from arrows, from swords. from uh, They were the first line of defense before a weapon from the enemy would get to them. Okay, so they had the shield of faith, which guarded them from the flaming arrows that were shot at them. And remember, when we talked about this originally, those shields, a lot often, they were they were covered with um, uh, sheepskin. They would soak the sheepskin in water. So when the flaming arrows would hit the shields, it would put out the fire. Right. So it also stands for the trust that God will provide everything that we need and block the spiritual forces of evil and, and that cannot tempt us when the lie that sin can provide, which the devil tells us is better than the life that God can provide. So the devil's telling us all the time, Hey, my life here on earth with you is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. You can do all these crazy things and you know what you're going to be fine you're going to be fine at the end of it well i'm sorry but that's not always the truth at least what i believe in and what christians believe in the people that follow jesus believe that yes we can still have fun we can still be blessed by what the lord's going to give us and we can still do a lot of things as long as we're not doing those things that the devil wants us to do Getting uh, the the shield blocks the, blocks the temptation of getting angry, um, or being jealous, or being envious, uh, um, or or doing the things that God has commanded us not to do, not by a bunch of rules, but the choice that we make to follow those commandments, because we know what's going to happen at the very end. We follow the commandments. We follow what Jesus commanded us to do. Not to change the Ten Commandments that God gave us, but to to not only exist through those, but also exist through love and through um, uh, taking care of people and, and taking care of ourselves. 
and our wives and our loved ones, right? Jesus was all about when he came about loving one another, making sure we take care of one another. Not that necessarily all that, the, the works that we do on earth are going to be, uh, you know, chalked as checks on the book that we get into heaven. That's not how it works. But it's the things that we do that following the way that he wants us to walk, staying on that path gets us to eternal life. So with the faith that we have in the shield that we're using, it can not only stop all the flaming arrows of the evil one that, that, that he's hurling at us, but when faced with authentic faith, the faith in God, the powers of darkness are overcome. We beat them. We're stomping them down. We're blocking them. The shield is protecting us. I pray every morning that the hedge of protection provided from the Lord is over my wife and my children and all that I love and, and, and the people that I work with and, and the company. That hedge of protection is protecting us. It is our shield of faith. And I believe in my heart that as long as I continue to pray that prayer, that God's going to protect me, not necessarily from everything and all things. He is going to protect me, but we still got to go through trials and tribulations. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Now, the first three pieces that Paul described as part of the armor are pieces that we actually wear. We put on our body and they hold themselves up. Our shoes hold themselves up with the tassels that we wrap around our ankles or our sandals. Uh, the belt obviously holds up a lot of stuff, right? Our, our breastplate is held up by straps and by our shoulder guards, right? So the shield is the first thing we actually have to take up. He tells us um, not only that, Paul, meaning not only that we, that we must take it up, but it's that we are required to raise this up to protect ourselves. Okay. Um, I talked a little bit about the story about how the shields would all come together when they were in battle and they'd all protect each other and make themselves like a moving tank, right? A, a tank of bodies. So they'd use these shields to do that. So how do we relate the shield being as faith or the faith that we have as being our shield? Now, faith is substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So that's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. We've said that we've talked about that before. And here's a bi biblical definition of faith that clears up some common misconceptions. First, is faith is the substance of things hoped for, which is the evidence of things not seen. Then this has far-reaching implications. Substance is tangible. We can feel it. We can touch it. We know it's there. And evidence is solid proof, meaning that the evidence in any court case, if it is the guy, fingerprints are on the knife, blood's on the knife, body's on the floor, the guy's standing there with a picture right when it's happening, after it's happening, that's irrefutable evidence that it happened, right? The Bible tells us that every word in it is God breathed. We talked about that last, last week. So that is irrefutable evidence that if God breathed those words into all of those writers of the Bible, that it is factual. It is true. It is real. And as a Christian, I have to believe and a believer in Jesus Christ, I have to believe that everything from the front cover to the back cover is exactly how they wrote it. And it's not for me to interpret it is for me to understand the interpretation that that Bible is giving to me. Not for me to interpret, but for it to interpret my life and who I am and the beliefs that I have. 
And for everybody that may seem a little different, but the Bible doesn't change and it sure doesn't contradict itself. So we are not to interpret the Bible. The Bible is to interpret us. As we read it and we get more used to the words and how they're used, whatever version you're reading, it is transforming us. It's transforming our minds. And as we read the Bible, the further we get into it, the more we start to understand it, right? Even the disciples didn't understand a lot of the parables that Jesus had to give them or shared with them. But as they grew in their relationship with Jesus, they now asked him, why don't they understand what you're saying? And it was just like what they were like when they first started walking with him, right? The more that you spend time with Jesus, the more that you spend time in the Bible, the more that you spend time in prayer, the more and better you understand what that is telling you and how it is interpreting you. Ouch. Okay, sorry, that was, a, that was a rabbit trail, but, but I think it was a good one. Romans 8, 24, 25 says that, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that it is seen and not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? It's a question. So why do you still hope for what you see? You've already got it. It's there. It's tangible. You're touching it, Right. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So if, we, if we're hoping for something, just like a kid in Christmas, he asked for a, he asked for a bike. He hopes he's going to get the bike. He's hoping, he's hoping, he's hoping until when Christmas Day comes, boom, there's the bike. Woo, now it's tangible. Now I've got it. But with perseverance, he's been hoping the whole time. I'm going to get my bike, Right. He wanted it to happen so bad. That's the same thing we've got to believe in what Jesus is going to do for us. Our faith is the hope that we have that he is going to supply us with everything that we need. He's going to be right there behind us through every tribulation we go through. And then when we get through that tribulation and we've successfully knocked down whatever the devil was trying to do to us, he's right there. So now we know it because we persevered to the point where our hope actually became fact that faith that we have but if we hope for what we do not see and we either wait for it uh, with perseverance that hope that we had before that all this is going to work out and at the end when it does that was the perseverance waiting for that end to when it does and that's jesus helping us through that situation so though it is based on solid evidence that doesn't mean faith comes naturally or does it come easily. Paul here makes the obvious but necessary point. You don't hope for what you already have. We already got it. Why would I hope for it, right? Faith involves a huge element of trust. So how much are you going to trust in the fact that God is going to work through this with you and you're going to get through it? One way or another, this is all God's plan. But it's the trust that you have hope and trust equals faith that he's going to get you through whatever situation you're going through or whatever your desires are because he promised that he would give us whatever our heart desires as long as we lean hope trust and have faith that he's going to do it there's no ifs ands or buts about it so faith involves a huge element of trust which uh, we must examine the evidence and see that god has provided himself to be unchanging and consistent and then we must firmly believe that he will fulfill his promises to us. 
So as long as he makes a promise to us, as I said, if we ask for it, we're following him, we're doing the right things, we ask for it, he's he already promised that he'll give us everything we ask for, as long as we're doing the right things and following him. So, do the right things, follow him, and you'll have all the blessings you can handle. And he'll dispense them down to you when you can handle them. It's just like the gifts of the Spirit. He's not going to give you all the gifts at one time, right? Oh my gosh, he'd overload you with that. So he's going to give you a little bit here. He's going to grow that. And he's going to give you a little bit here. And he's going to grow that. And, and that's a whole nother lesson that we can go over at another time. So where does living and, and the, the saving faith come from? So in Ephesians 2.8, it says, so just before Ephesians 6, all right, go back a few chapters. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't pray to ourselves and save us. God has given us that gift because we have chosen to ask for salvation through the name of Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth, that he sacrificed himself, that he went up on that cross and he got nailed to that cross and he died, and that he rose three days later and that he taught his disciples for 40 more days and then he was raised into the heavens to take the hand, uh, the right hand of the Father and sit right next to him, right? Those are the things. And then we have to repent of our sins, turn from our sins, and cut that part of our lives out, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's actually a glorious thing. I wish I would have known it earlier in life. Right. So in first Corinthians 12, nine, it says to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, which means earlier I was talking about how God's going to give those those gifts to us as we are healing in our bodies through our salvation, and through our faith and through our, our hope of what God's going to do for us and trusting in him to do that. He's going to give us miraculous healings in our body. Whether it's your knee or your kidneys or cancer or, or brain damage or whatever. I have seen in, in the last couple of years, I have seen miraculous healings of all kinds of things. Kids with autism, kids with Down syndrome, kids that didn't talk, hadn't talked in years, got prayed for with the trust and the hope and the faith of God being in that prayer and, and, and God coming in and swooping down and, and, and working with that child and through that child with the oil being poured from God to this person to the child, the child spoke and speaks quite well. So we have to understand that through someone else's faith, helping us grow our faith, there can be healings in that. While we must believe God to even begin or, or walk with him in our lives, after repentance and a baptism, he gives us a deeper, living, growing faith through his Holy Spirit. So, you get saved, you repent, you get baptized, bam! Growing faith. You get in the Word, you're starting to read the Word, you're starting to transform your mind, okay? Lots of good things are going on during all that time. He is evolving you. He is growing your mind right? All right. What is a shield associated with faith in the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the three, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So earlier in another series um, conversation, we talked about faith 
And I talked about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they were supposed to be uh, worshiping this big 90-foot idol that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had built. And they said, no, we're not doing it. We're not going to um, uh, worship your God because we have a God and we have faith in our God. And, and you can throw us in that fire and we have faith that God is going to walk us through that fire or he's going to take us. Either way, we're going to either be with him or we're going to be here to prove that he is there. Okay, so the shield, while physical shields protect us physically, faith can protect our spiritual lives, even in the middle of physical trials. So when Satan, through Nebuchadnezzar, attacked the values and beliefs of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to stand resolute and unwavering because of their faith. In their response, they essentially said, God is capable of delivering us from this faith. We know that. Now we just need to believe and do what God has commanded, regardless of the physical outcome, he can still raise us from the dead if he chooses to do so, right? But they had that faith. So they walked into that fire and they sat there and then Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, there was three guys in the fire. Now there's four. That's because Jesus was walking them through that fire because of their faith. So the faith can block devil schemes, arrows, temptation. It can block all of that force before it gets to us, we have additional armor on, right? The breast, breastplate of righteousness, the belt, the sandals, right? All that is going to protect us. But we got to put the shield out there to protect us initially, right? As for God, his way is perfect. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Second Samuel twenty two thirty one, And Samuel talks a lot about the shield of faith and the breastplate of, of righteousness. Now you give me your shield of victory. And your right hand sustains me. God, give me your shield of victory. Give me your shield of faith. And your right hand will sustain me. God's right hand will sustain you. And that's Psalms 18.35. So I wanted to end with that and talk about the shield of faith because that was a good one. So now the helmet of salvation. What purpose did the helmet serve in the Roman army? Well, what purpose does any helmet serve? It's to protect our head. Where does the devil love to play? In our head. This is where he gets us. This is where he attacks us. This is where he, he throws us around, makes us do things we don't want to do, right? Or maybe sometimes we, some people entertain those, those, those demons, right? And they can, but that's all happening in the head, right? So in the Roman times, the helmet uh, protected, protects their head uh, from attacks of the enemy. There is some evidence to suggest that the Romans had special ceremonial helmets used in parades that denoted the rank or the standing of that particular person. A lot of them had those feather things that come up here. Well, that for us as, as, as Christians in the, our helmet of salvation, those feathers and those, the, the, that fur is pointing right to Jesus, right? Salvation basically means to be saved or delivered. We've talked about this before from something. And in the New Testament, as we will see, it is generally used to refer to deliverance from the eternal death penalty of sin and deliverance into God's kingdom. So your salvation, and we've talked about salvation, we talked about deliverance, is us accepting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to join him in this walk, or Him for him to join us in this walk on earth so that we can have eternal life in heaven. Okay? So what is the penalty of our sins? And how... Can we be saved from this penalty? Well, let's talk about that. So we're going to go through a few versions or a few verses that I want to share with you. So, for the wage of sin is death, 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you sin, you're dead. No, it's a spiritual death that they're talking about. So, and this is Romans 6, 23. So for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 5, 8 through 10, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, okay, while we were still sinners, he still was pulling on us. He's still pulling on our heartstrings, right? Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, the blood that he shed for us, to save us from our sins, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So before we were sinners, his son came, saved us from our sins. Since that time, we, we, we as believers take Jesus into our hearts and then we are reconciled. Once we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The thing that he did for us, and I've said it a million times, the sacrifice that he made for us, the sacrifice that God made for sending his son to us was huge, bigger than anything any of us on earth could possibly do. In John three sixteen through 17, for God who loved the, um, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world, everyone, every one of us has the option and the opportunity to be saved. And I don't see why we wouldn't or shouldn't, uh, but, you know, hey, that's, uh, that's for your own choice. That's why he gave us free will, right? So in 1 Timothy, Timothy 2, 3 through 4, it says this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men. And when they say men, remember we've talked about this. That means men, women, human, kind, right? All men, all of us, men, women, children, everyone come to him to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that the Bible is the truth. That's my belief. Okay. And Luke in 177, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. I give you my sins, Lord. Take them. I don't want them anymore. I don't want to do them. I don't want to think about them. I don't want to remember them. And he will. And you dry, clean slate, white as snow. Under the water you go as the old man. You kill, kill the old man under the water. He comes up risen, a new, fresh man to do new, fresh things in the eyes of the Lord. Every human being has thought and acted in ways that are abominable to God. We've all sinned. We, we're sinners by nature. Our sins break God's beautiful living laws designed for our good. Adam and Eve started with them, right? Sin is so vile to God that it requires the death penalty. Spiritual death penalty, by the way. God's justice requires that penalty or it would be all for not, right? But God's loving mercy provided the most incredible substitute. Jesus, Jesus Christ, our creator, was willing to die to save you from your sins. This world needs a savior and it's not any man on earth. 
That's not any woman on earth. It's no human on earth. It's the man that's already come. He already sacrificed himself on that cross, on that tree. And he rose three days later. So, how do we receive salvation? That's a great question. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit inside you that works in your heart. He's your conscience. He tells you and guides you. Okay, He doesn't make you do things, right? But he helps you get through things. It's a whole nother conversation, a whole nother time. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and that not one of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So don't boast about yourself or the gifts that you have or the things that you've done, because nobody really cares. God doesn't care about the things that you've done on earth. I mean, he does care about, obviously, how you live your life through his name, right? But you don't win salvation by the good deeds that you do. All right, so we are going to go right, continue to jump right there. I'm going to shut off my phone. Hold on. All right, so what does salvation have to do with the helmet? That is a great question. We're going to get right to that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain, obtain salvation through our Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We can receive tremendous hope and comfort by focusing on the incredible sacrifices that Jesus gave to save us and the amazing kingdom that is our goal to be at the for eternity for our salvation, right? And this hope works like a helmet to protect our minds from the discouragement and despair and depression and anxiety and all those things that the devil loves to shoot his flaming arrows at us. All of those things. I start getting a little nervous about something or I start getting a little scared about something, I give it to the Lord. I cast my cares upon the Lord and I know he will sustain me. He will not let his children struggle. Psalms 55, 22. But I give it to him. Blow it in my hands, I give it to him. And he will enter my heart as he already is there. And he will relax me so I don't have to worry about those fears and things like that. So remember that salvation comes from God and that God is on our side. He's right there next to you. And if we commit to fully follow and obey him, it is simple for us to lose. It is impossible for us to lose our battle and our salvation. All right, so the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the sixth piece of the armor. This is the most powerful thing. The sword is the only item listed in Paul that serves as an offensive weapon. Everything else has been defensive. The shield, the, the, the shoes that give us the firm foundation, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, right? These are things that we wear or we hold to protect us. Now we get the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What does that mean to you? Well, if everything's working right, 
<laughs> Without the sword, we amount to uh, to very little other than being a very well-armored moving target for the devil. Okay? Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is the lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word, the Holy Bible, illuminates and it reveals to us the good and the bad. So there's that sweet French vanilla coffee and then there's that bitter black coffee, right? The wise and the unwise. It is the ultimate tool in learning how to live the best possible life free from the restraints of stumbling and darkness. We continue to read. We continue to have this piece of the armor, our, our offensive sword that we have of the spirit, the word of God. That continues to help us transform and grow. So I said it last week. I want to say it again. When our light is so bright, the devil just walks on by. He doesn't even mess with us. He's going to go mess with someone else who's not feeling good or they're weak or they're tired because that's when the devil really likes to get you. But when we are continuing to put our face and our eyes on the Bible and we're continuing to read scripture on a regular basis, memorizing scripture on a regular basis, going to God for any of our situations and problems, our light is just brilliant. We are emanating it and the devil just walks right on by. He doesn't even pull back his bow, right? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Well, the word is God and God is the word. That means the Bible, the word, which is every word that he wrote in the Bible through the God breathed uh, ears of the men that he put it through. That is what our weapon's going to be. God's word is the truth, plain and simple. We can have perfect confidence in the fact that his words are accurate, true, and unerring. We've, when followed, when we follow what the word says, they guide us without fail. They, remember, I was t talking earlier about it. The Bible interprets us. We don't interpret the Bible. So it tells us our life. There's, you can read uh, through different verses and so forth, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I totally relate to that. I've gone through that. That's exactly right. And it's going to tell you when you're dealing with things that you haven't gone through, it's going to tell you how to get through that too. It's amazing how that works. I'm two years into this walk and I'll, I'll be very honest. It is cramazing, crazy, amazing, because you can't call God crazy, right? It's cramazing how much I've learned and how much when I read the Bible, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I know I'm, I'm dealing with that. And you've just, the Bible's just told me how to get through it and how to fix it and how to pray about it, and how to get over it, and be delivered of it, get those spirits out of me, one, I'm gone, done, finished, bing, right? That's what it does for you. Don't doubt it, because my faith believes in the truth, and my hope for what I don't know, and what I know God's going to do for me. I know, my, my hope is that I know he's going to do it for me. My knowledge is that I know that he's going to do it for me, right? So, we can be destroyed by the lack of the knowledge of God. That's in Hosea 4, 6. But we will be blessed if we hear and keep the word of God in Luke eleven twenty eight. And the knowledge is not just of us. We are to be ready to answer others who ask us. That's in 1 Peter 3, 15. So when, some, when, you're, in, when you're in the word and you're learning it, people are going to come to me. So how would I handle this? Well, the Bible says, you walk them right through it. And if they're like, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, 
let me tell you what, how, and I'll show you. Break out your phone, go to your Bible app, and show them this is how this is how this was handled. And that is that kind of what you're going through. That's exactly what I'm going through. Well, read the Bible. Boom! Next thing you know, the seed's been planted. They're going to go read the Bible. Hopefully, that's the hope, right? So why a sword? Well, in Hebrews four twelve, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. Which the Romans, when their swords were two edged swords, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. So it gives you the spiritual side of that. Then it gives you the physical side of that, right? And is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. When we start getting closer to God and we start becoming, and he starts helping us with our gifts and growing our gifts, you're going to be able to discern certain things that people are putting out there, whether it's verbally or their body language or whatever the case may be. God's going to give you that gift to be able to discern what their spirits are doing. You'll be able to tell if people are bad. You'll be able to tell if people are, are, are good. If they have good intentions, they have bad intentions. That would be great to have when I go buy a car, right? Is to be able to discern that guy. Is he telling me the truth? Is he lying to me? What's going on? God can give you that gift. Again, it's getting in the word, learning what he does. Remember that Jesus used the Bible to counter Satan's attacks in Matthew 4, 4, 7, and 10. So each time when the Satan would say, hey, I'm going to, you know, if you're the son of God, and Jesus came back with Deuteronomy, I'm going to take you up. And if you were to jump off, angels are supposed to come help Deuteronomy, right? He did that three times. You know, eat this bread. No, turn that rock into bread. No, that's not what God asked us to do. He recited Deuteronomy again, okay? No man should eat a, a live on bread alone, but the word of God, right? Like word, the words that come out of the God's mouth, right? So with the sword, we must fight our battles up close and endure trials and tribulations so that we can grow. And without growth, how can we enter the kingdom of God? Matthew 5.45 says, that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We're going to go through trials and tribulations. There's no ifs or ands or buts. It's how we do it, how we walk through it, and how we allow the Bible to help us get through it is the way that we're going to get through it, right? So we just got to help ourselves out in that case. God promises us, promises us something if we maintain our deliverance and our salvation. In Revelation 3, 5, it says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Ooh, that's exciting. And that's a revelation. Mm. I'm getting deep into that right now too myself. So what promises can we stand on? Matthew 24, 13. Be he who endures to the end shall be saved. Keep fighting the battle. Keep beating those demons. Maintain your deliverance. And that doesn't mean you get delivered once and then you know, you're done. We're good. No. Other things happen. You're going to sin. You have to be delivered of that too. Even though we've been forgiven, we still need to be delivered. Romans 8.31 says, 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So if God and Jesus are for you, no evil uh, can beat you down. It can beat you, but it can't beat you down because you're going to fight it and you're going to get delivered of it and you're going to be victorious. We fight knowing the end of the story. We already know that God and Jesus win at the very end. They, they beat Jesus in the final battles. Two of the many powerful and sure promises in God's word tell us that if we remain dedicated to God and in his word, that we will make it to the end and we will be saved. Now, that's pretty, pretty good information for you and for me. And um, since we're running a little bit out of time, I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to pray for each one of you. And my prayer today, uh, and Lord, I, I come to you right now. Uh, I come to you right now and I, I pray for all of the folks that are watching this or listening to this. And that they understand and that they try to, to do more of what they can do to get into your word to have not only all of the armor on to protect themselves, but also raise the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to whatever the enemy is trying to do to them. And that they, with your word, can defeat anxiety, depression, anger. They can de defeat all of the, the oppressive chains or, or binds uh, that are on them the yokes that they've either put on themselves or other people have put on them. Lord, I ask that you release all of them that wish to be released, that don't want to entertain those demons anymore. And that you, you reach into their hearts. You take their hard hearts, you make it soft, that they come to you. They ask for you to come into their lives, to be saved, to repent of their sins, to walk away from their sins, and then get baptized to go under as the old man come up as a new clean man, fresh and as white as snow, ready to take on the world. Because we know that when you deliver us and that we take you into our hearts, that our lives will get better. So I just ask all of you out there, and I ask you, Lord, to protect them. Put your hedge of protection around them now, Lord. And I thank you for all the blessings and all the grace and the mercy that we don't deserve, but you give it to us freely and, and, and through your will. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So you need to get into a good church. You need to start either watching online if you don't want to go physically. Um, but there's a lot of good churches that have really good long, um, online programs. Um, you can uh, just open up the Bible, start reading, start in John, start in Matthew, start at the beginning in Genesis. It doesn't matter, but just start reading the word. Get that sword, pull it out of your sheath and start slashing those spirits that have been attacking you. My name's Scott Bruder. This is Glory to God on the Go. I sure hope you enjoyed this one. I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. Thanks a lot and God bless.